So continuing on, the Lord has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his Father, to God the Father. We pray and we dress and we deal with him. Because Christ is part of the Godhead, it appears in the apostolic teachings and the book of Acts, often they prayed to the Father and other times directly to the Lord. They interchanged seeing the Godhead here. Even Jesus said, to ask the Father anything in my name, and I will do it. And the later on he says, and if you ask me anything, I will do it. See, because he's going to be restored to the Godhead, one with the Father, one with the Godhead. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you, speaking to the present Christian, and we are in that category, still in the church age, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, some translations particular, but it means special, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, many professing Christians and heresies and heretic, all of this is is a mystical thing. See, they don't believe that the Christian can live above sin. I've heard pastors teach, oh, we're saved by grace, and you have to sin every day in word, thought, or deed. If you have to, then you've not been free from the power of sin, and you're a child of the devil. As I've said, can't you go a minute without failing and directly sinning against the Lord? Oh, yeah. Well, you can go a minute, you can go an hour, you can go a day, you can go a year. You choose by who you yield to. See, we're not talking about human imperfections, and we are being sanctified. But no Christian can or has to grossly sin and willfully disobey God. If he does, he chooses to do it, and he can't blame it on anything but his refusal to receive grace and help from the high priest. And so he says he's called you out of darkness. See, that's what it means to be an overcomer. It isn't as the heretic teaches, oh, we overcame when we confessed Jesus. Oh, that you began that. You entered the race. You didn't finish the race. You heretics that teach this, they're damned for hell. They quote even the book of Revelation. Oh, I read the book Revelation. We win. No, you don't win. Those who overcome in a practical life, those who endure to the end, those who are faithful, and overcome and resist the flesh, the world, and the devil. This is practicality. This is a process of spiritual warfare. See, Those are the ones who stay in Christ. Otherwise, they're cut off. So for those who say they're in Christ and practice sin, they're of the devil. And that's how the Lord looks at them. They don't do the will of the Father. They do the will of the devil the God of this world. So he wants them to understand that we've been given the help of the Spirit so the Christian does not have to willfully sin or disobey God. He doesn't expect it, and God's not going to excuse it. That's why not many professing Christians are going to make it. I've talked to them. Well, they say, well, I just am trusting in God's grace. Well, you're trusting in vain. Because you have not used that grace 
And grace is not unmerited favor. That's a small, I get so sick of hearing that because the heretic propagates that. Unmerited favor. I don't earn it, so I'm not going to do anything. God's given me this favor, so I'll just go sin and live it up because there's nothing I can do anyway. Isn't that wonderful? The doctrine of demons. Paul said the grace of God, it was a strength. When Jesus wouldn't release the stake in the flesh from Paul to keep him humble, he said, my grace is sufficient for you for, care 10 years old, he didn't separate it, for, if my grace is sufficient, for, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What's my strength? His grace. Grace gives strength and ability to overcome sin, the world, and the devil. All other grace is false grace, passive grace. Doesn't produce the fruit and the works of the Spirit. And therefore, that person will be damned by God, by his works, not by his beliefs. Oh, many are going to claim faith and they're going to say, well, remember, Lord, when I was born again? And and the Lord's going to say, yeah, I remember that. And I remember when you lost it, too. You just didn't remember that. You thought you were sealed and nobody could have, I unsealed you. My father cut you off from grace because you didn't continue in me. See, they're going to have some mouth-dropping understanding, but it's going to be too late then. They're going to do them a bit of good, but they'll know. Therefore, I contend no person's going to hell that doesn't know why he's going there and will concede that Jesus is Lord and he got just what he deserved because he was a wicked person. There ain't going to be no people in hell wondering how they got there. They're going to know how they got there. The devil won't be able to deceive them and God's going to enlighten them for judgment. And then when they're in the lake of fire, they shall be enlightened forever by God's wrath to prove that they were sinners, okay? Fearful thing to fall into the hands of a God of wrath. So we are royal priesthood now. He has made us now. See, we're still in, we can call it the church age, the new covenant age, the age of grace. We use many, but it's the body of Christ. And this is who the Lord is dealing with. This is the only place the kingdom of God on earth where the kingdom of heaven is. So it's in us. It's in the believer. It's him living in the body of Christ. Okay? So he says, to him be glory. And that here, if we look at this, sometimes he just spoke of his God and Father. To him, to do him is, is not God the Father, but it is the Son. It is Jesus Christ. He's talking about here, who to be the glory because that's who the prophecy is speaking of. He, his glory and power forever. Remember, all things are turned over to the Son. All power and authority is given to him. He is the judge. He will be the judge of all, ultimately. The righteous, the works shall be judged. The wicked shall come under the judgment of Christ, acting with the Godhead, see? Again, you cannot separate. The scripture doesn't speak of plural thrones in heaven. It speaks of the throne. And at times it speaks of the Father and at times of Jesus' throne. So see, again, we're seeing the Godhead here. 
in verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, so be it, is what the amen means. So he's coming with clouds, okay? That's important. Some think the cloud are witnesses, the angelic hosts. That's possibly part of it. But let's go to Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, remember the apostles and actually 500 witnesses chosen of God, the scripture tells us, there weren't no sinners watching this. And it's interesting. If the Lord wanted to prove things to the world, he could have done it, huh? He don't want to. These things are for his own. They're not for the wicked. He hides wisdom from the wicked. Remember, Jesus thanked the Father for doing this. He hid wisdom and insight from the Pharisees and scribes, yet he revealed it to his simple apostles. See? Sin affects how God wants to deal with people. The wicked seek a sign, and no sign shall be given. See, he's not interested. He gave enough signs to the children of Israel more than any other time in human history, and they didn't make it as a generation because they were disobedient. All of that didn't help them spiritually because they didn't obey the Lord. Okay? Actually, the, Paul said it was not mixed with faith. Signs and wonders do not add to a person's spirituality. It confirms truth. It can open up to God's meal. But it doesn't keep a person in the Lord. They choose to stay in the Lord with the help of God. Okay? So he says, as he spoke these things, as they watched, over 500 disciples watched this, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. He ascended bodily. See, he came back and he ascended bodily during the 40-day period. He disappeared and appeared. He used his divine nature. And then even when Thomas wasn't present, he said, touch me. Put your hand in my wounds. I'm not just a spirit, he was telling them. And that's when Thomas said what? He was so astounded. He said, my Lord and my God. He recognized Jesus as being the divine nature then. He calls him my Lord and my God. See, they began to start understanding Up until the resurrection, they still didn't have a full concept of who the Son of God was. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was a prophet. They didn't get the full understanding of what he previously, a few nights before, told Philip. How long have I been with you and you've not known me? See, Philip said, show us the Father. Show us God. And Jesus was saying, and the Father spoke in him. Remember, every word Jesus ever spoke after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was the Father speaking in him. And he said, how long have I been with you and you don't know me? He was saying there is no difference between. And all you need to know about me spiritually is here. It's not up in heaven. It's not some supernatural revelation. It's not signs and wonders that Moses and the children of Israel. It's different. I've lived with you, and you don't know me. So he made it very plain. So he still used his body. And see, he appeared 
during 40 days to many disciples. That's what he called James the half-brother uh, as an apostle. Isn't it interesting? The apostle Paul tells us this. Isn't that interesting? All this conflict between James and Paul, and only through Paul do we get a clear word that James was an apostle. He was numbered with them. He had a power with them. He wasn't of the twelve, but he was an apostle. He was a foundation of the Jerusalem church. As we say many times, Peter reported to him. When he did something out of the ordinary, he sent messages back to explain to James what he was doing. So much for him being the Pope. Okay, He was the chief spokesman when the apostles were together and had to give a witness or we're going to proclaim the gospel. Now, there's where Peter came in. Okay. So he was taken up, and a cloud received him. See, the angels tell them this. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, because that's where he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel. These were angels. See, they're witnessing. And he said to the men of Galilee, why do you stare gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In what manner? Verse 7, behold, he is coming with clouds. It means in what manner? He's going to come bodily. He's going to come with the clouds and the host of heaven. And they're going to see him on a horse, actually. And they're going to see written on his thigh the word of God. And he's going to come as a judge with a sword and a king. He's not coming to redeem. And the world will mourn over him. It means they'll mourn because of their sins. They're not repenting here. They will be terrorized. The scripture said they will flee to the caves and beg for the rocks to fall on them. Why? To hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. See, grace is over. We don't think of a Lamb having wrath. We think of him as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. See, but he's going to execute all judgment for the Father. He said, I came to be a Redeemer, a Savior. I brought all mercy. But at this time, I'm coming in judgment. Wicked has been going on long enough. I'm going to deal with it and set up a righteous kingdom. So that's what he's going to do. So he will return bodily. I'll just throw this in. Always an opportunity to rebuke those who misunderstand and misrepresent. Jesus resurrected bodily and he's not coming back and he cannot and will not bodily. He's acting bodily as the intercession in heaven. He's not going to proceed to earth. Some have elevated the Apostle Paul as the replacement for Judas. They used the term that Paul said he was a sort of born out of time. He could not be the replacement. We keep saying that. He did not witness the ministry and the life of Jesus for three and a half years. That was a requirement to be one of the twelve. He did not fulfill this. But see, they want to elevate him and think he's superior than the other apostles. Well, he was superior in knowledge, and he wrote a good portion of Scripture. But let me tell you, when the book of Revelation came, John far exceeded Paul in Revelation. But at the time, that was true. He was formulating and laying the foundation, and the apostles recognized this. Peter said, oh, he has many things that are hard to understand. But he said that the foolish 
stumble to their own destruction as they twist his writing. See, the Apostle Peter said they twist Paul's teachings to their own damnation, he said, as they do all Scripture. Now, isn't that astounding? Peter called Paul's writing Scripture. There was no competition between these people. Okay. But we say Jesus could not have appeared bodily to Paul when he appeared to him. Why? Because Paul himself tells us it was a vision. A vision is in the spirit realm. It's visions and dreams of the spirit realm. Jesus is bodily in heaven as the high priest. The man, Jesus Christ, as the high priest. And he isn't coming back until he comes back as king and judge. That scripture, people want to fight with that, then tamper with your damnation for perverting scripture. Okay? So everyone on the earth at that time, we don't know how and where and how it's going to be done, but they're going to perceive Jesus when he comes as judging king. And they're going to be in terror of him. Eschatology, or end-time events, will reveal the overthrow, ultimately, of Satan's kingdom and the final uh, everlasting rule of Christ and his own. And so what is the writer saying here? Okay, so it is to be, you can bank on it, and so be it. Amen. So he said, that's established. So all of these judgments and different events ultimately are to subdue the kingdom of the devil and the wicked into the lake of fire and to set up a new heaven and earth after God's final dealings during the millennium and the judgment that follows. That's ultimately what God's going to do. That's why it's called a short work he will make upon the earth. A short work. What's seven, eight thousand years compared to trillions and trillions and trillions of millennium? A never-ending life in heaven. And the terrible thing, also in hell. They will dwell in the eternal present. People in heaven will not dwell in the future and the past. They will enjoy the joys of the Lord in their eternal present. Okay, That's what it's going to be. Okay. And now we hear here in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, John wrote the book of Revelation in Greek, and so the beginning of the Greek alphabet, Alpha and Omega, and the endings, though they use that, as the Hebrews use the similar term in their language to mean the same thing, the beginning and the end. Before God, there is God. And after God, there is God. He compasses eternity. There is no before and after. He is everything. Everything falls in to these categories here. He is from eternity to eternity. He is the one we call the I Am, the existing one. See? He's the eternal being. So as the word of God, Jesus is the Lord God, the same as the Father and the Holy Spirit is. The one who is the I am, we could say, the existing one in the present time. He was in past history. He acted. He did things. He acted in creation. He acted and did certain events and culminated in the salvation 
of mankind, those who turn to the Lord. The one who is to come, the future that will exist in glory will be in God, controlled, sustained as the Almighty, the ruler of the universe. So all evil ultimately will be confined to the lake of fire and all righteous beings, angels and the children of God will live in everlasting joy and holiness in heaven and in the presence of God. His eternal presence. I like it when Gabriel reproves Zechariah when he questions his message. He said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He did not use the past tense because the scripture says angels of God always behold his face. Remember, Moses was not allowed to see the face of God. He couldn't live. He had to be restrained because he was in his body in humanity and he was not even filled with the spirit. So it was an impossibility. But he said those in heaven will receive the face. It means the full glory of God. It doesn't mean they're staring at an image. Of the millions of angels, they're busy being ministers to God's children and working in providence so they don't stand uh, literally before the throne of God. But they stand face to face with God all the time. See, they're in the spirit. God is everywhere and he manifests himself fully to them. They don't need to say, oh, I'll, I'll, it'll be so great when I can go back to heaven and see, see the Father. No, they're always in his presence. See? Because God is the eternal one. He dwells and inhabits eternity. And so wherever angels are, they're still in tune with him. So it means that when we enter heaven, we shall see him face to face. We shall be in his full presence, whatever our servitude is, whatever our joys and whatever heaven consists of, we'll have this relationship that does not lessen. We don't go to and fro. If we were there confined to go before the throne, nobody would ever want to leave. They would say, well, I don't want to work. I want to stay. They want to be as the cherubim who day and night before the throne say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They do this continually. But it doesn't say that's all that they do. They are superior beings. They've been given knowledge and spirit far excelling any human expectation. So see, we're not going to be limited. But this is what he wants, okay? He wants us to know him. He is the Almighty. Now verse 9. Now I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus was on the isle called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. It's interesting he does not use, as Paul often did, he does not use his apostolic position. He makes it understood that he is a brother and the message to him called him a bondservant, did not address him as an apostle, which he was. He was a brother and linked himself with the body of Christ. So he was saying he is suffering as they are and for being in a kingdom of priests unto Jesus Christ. See, they're in another kingdom, and the world does not like this. He is persevering in being faithful 
and overcoming the world, the political system. All true Christians will suffer troubles or afflictions from the flesh, the world, and the devil, or they're not real Christians. We are not here to find our life in happiness and self-seeking. I'm sorry, the prosperity doctrine is false. It emphasizes materialism and life here. And the scripture does not teach that. It teaches sacrifice. It teaches taking up the cross daily. It teaches laying aside our will to do the will of Christ. And he says, take up your cross daily. Anybody who has any spiritual comprehension understand that means every day the Christian is in conflict with the world and his own fallen nature wants to have his way. And he's put in a position to say, no, I may want to do this and I may desire, but I must obey the Lord. His will must come before mine. See, that's the life of a true disciple. Therefore, it limits who the disciples are, doesn't it? Okay, Acts chapter 14 and 22, after preaching the gospel, Paul and, and others, is that he strengthened the souls of the disciples. They've just gotten saved. They're called disciples. There is no distinction between believers and disciples as the heretic teaches, okay? So he exhorted them to continue in the faith. He didn't call it a one-time experience. He didn't say, now you're saved, you don't have to worry about it. It's all grace and faith. No such nonsense here. He said, continue in the faith. Four times in the New Testament, it quotes Abraham, what is spoken in his life, and it says, and my just one shall live by faith. See, isn't that interesting? It's in the continual tense. People are banking too much on experiences. Experiences can be forfeited. Understand that, okay? And so he said, you are to continue in what you just turned to. You just turned to the Lord, and you're on the narrow path. Stay there. See, that's what he's talking about. And then he said, for we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So if you enter in with Christ Jesus, you're going to have fights and warfares with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if not, you're a false Christian. It's very simple. Scripture can be very plain if people want to believe it. So faith is progressive. It's not a one-time experience. We can have experiences, but they themselves do not sustain us. Experiences are given to encourage and strengthen us to keep going. The just shall live by faith. He said, we live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We keep going. We continue in this pilgrimage, this probation, this warfare. Okay? So we walk by faith. It is through stages of testings that God takes us to mature us and to prove our loyalty. That's the purpose of warfare. That's the purpose of testings. And many people fall away during these times. See, Jesus said they receive the word with joy. They're born again. They've accepted the Lord. Oh, and everything's wonderful. See, because their guilty conscience is gone. Their conscience is made pure. They know they're a child of God. They have joy and peace. And then as they move along, something happens. It says they endure 
for a little while. But when trial and tribulation comes because of the word, because of the kingdom, because of being a Christian, they fall away. For they have no root in them. But see, they were saved. And then they became unsaved. They didn't do what the scripture told them. Get grounded. Lay the foundation. Drink the milk and mature. Because if you don't, you're going to backslide. So Jesus already told us what was going to happen to many people. They would endure for a little while. Well, he wants them to endure and fight through and take the weapons of warfare and the help of the Holy Spirit and be an overcomer. This is what he requires of all Christians. Okay, Paul's last epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Yes, since I'm making this a plain statement, all who desire All who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So there are many that I used to counsel years ago, do hours of counseling many, many years ago over phone ministries. And many people say, well, I I don't suffer. I I said, you need to question your Christianity. And they look puzzled. Well, I thought it was all grace. And God, no, it's not. See, you've been lied to. You have a false shepherd guiding you. He's not prepared you. The devil isn't messing with you. You're already deceived. Why should he bother with you? You're no threat to his kingdom. It's those who walk in the spirit and those who mature that are a threat to his kingdom. And he's going to fight back. He's just not going to give up easily. So we're in a warfare. And so as he said, through many tribulations, we will get to the kingdom of heaven, the final end. We have to prove loyal. We have to be practical overcomers. We have to endure to the end of our life. That means to persevere. Perseverance is a word you could almost translate in a common phrase. Perseverance is the salmon going upstream. As long as he keeps moving, he makes it somewhere. But if he stops at all, he'll drift. The river will force him hundreds of yards back down, and he'll have to start again. That's what perseverance is. We are in the world And it's the devil's corrupt world. And we have to overcome him. For the kingdom of God is within us. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what are imposters? They're false teachers. They're false Christians. Look around. It's the majority of what claims to be Christian. It's the majority of denominational churches and groups and organizations. They're false Christians. I could ask them five questions and prove that Christianity or disprove it. See, but that's what's accepted. And false Christianity does not like a true Christian. He's too narrow. He's too unloving. He's too hard. See, because they pampered themselves and they think God is spoiling them. And they think they have grace and faith and nothing else matters because the devil's lied to them and their end will be a wicked end. Okay. But he said it's going to get worse and worse. Well, didn't Jesus say it would be as the time of Noah and Lot? How many thousands were saved then? Go back and read that. It's an eye opener. They were deceived and they're deceiving. So true Christians, if we're among that, If we're confronted at times, we have to reprove 
false teaching and false teachers. We have to expose them and refute such. And in doing so, one is hated and attacked by them. Oh, I've dealt with the ministers. I've heard people commend the people. So many people say, oh, he was such a saint. You know, I never heard him ever say anything negative because he's a false Christian. If he was truly a man of God, he would reprove these false doctrines. He would say, no, this is false. He wouldn't be afraid to say this minister is false. Shall I say it? Martin Luther was false, the same as the Roman Catholics were. They were propagating stuff that was not scripturally sound. They replaced heresies with heresies and fought each other. And there are multitudes of teachers and false teachers today. And when we're instructing the few people, we should say, now he's false. Oh, we shouldn't judge. Judge not. See, these people don't know how to interpret scripture. He says, Jesus said, when you judge, judge righteous judgment. He was saying, don't be flippant. Don't be a fault finder. But the minister and the mature Christian is required to refute false teachers. Or he is a compromiser and he's going to be judged with them. And therefore, the Apostle James says, not many of you should be teachers. Because, see, you're going to have to do something hard and there's going to be conflict and you're going to stir up trouble and you're going to have tribulation. Oh, but we don't want that. Uh, we want to prosper. We want God to bless us and put his angels around us. And God, It's nonsense. See? They're preaching another gospel. And the Apostle Paul said, those who do this, let them remain cursed. He didn't bring a curse on them. He already knew they were cursed. But he said, leave them alone. Let them be cursed. That's what Jesus said. Leave them alone. They're deceived, they're deceiving others, and they're going to fall into the pit. See, that's the end and God's wish for wicked teachers and prophets and false Christian ministers. That's what he wants for them. See, because they will not acknowledge the truth and they pervert the truth and insult the spirit of grace. He has an answer for that. So it says all, didn't say a few, it didn't say some, it said all who choose to live in Christ Jesus and to be godly are going to have problems. In doing so, they will, not they might, they will suffer persecution, tribulation, affliction. For we are a holy kingdom of priests before Christ Jesus. The wicked, the ungodly, the evil hate righteousness and holiness. They don't like do-gooders. It makes them uncomfortable. They want people to condone their evil and tell them, oh, you're not that bad. And then the the wicked goes to most of the false churches and he looks around and he says, well, you know, I'm as good as these people. But what he doesn't know is the people he's looking at, they're all going to hell. See, he's measuring himself by the wrong people. Who are we going to measure? We're going to be measured against Christ. We have a different standard to follow, don't we? So it's no good to be measuring people. I've had people tell me, well, if you make it, I'll make it. I said, I don't know what you're basing that on. And I sure wouldn't be comparing with me because I do fail and I've had failures. But if you're judging yourself by someone else, you may pick the wrong person. Your minister may be a false shepherd on the way to hell. You don't need to be comparing yourself to him. And you're paying him 
Why he's doing it. You're supporting him. You're wishing him Godspeed. And John says, you will be partakers of evil that he does. When you wish God bless and speed, a wicked minister, you share in their evil. That's why John said you don't do it. See? They need to be reproved. They don't need to be God's blessing called on them. Okay? Evil men and imposters, like we said, false teachers, false Christians, will proceed and become worse and worse. Well, we're seeing that. That's why the masses of Christendom are false and on their way to hell. And then he said, Ah, John was exiled to Patmos for holding the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was that? That he was the only one and true God. That's why he was there. Patmos was an island in the Aegean Sea, about 50 miles southwest of Ephesus. Okay, That's where he was the apostle and acting at that time. He and those close to him would not recognize the emperor of Rome as being a god. This emperor proceeded to enforce this. Many times they winked at things and they didn't care what religion people were. Rome encouraged other people's religion. As long as you gave proper respect and paid your taxes, they didn't care. But at times they elevated the demon and the emperor said, you must be worshipped. You must be worshipped as a god. So he sort of insisted. He made this more public, and John renounced this. So we can't do this. We don't recognize you as a god. And therefore, uh, he was tried and sent to prison, the island for the. He was separated from the body of Christ, and that was the emperor's intention. I'll go for the head, and the other ones will fall away later, uh, is basically what he was hoping for. Okay? So we see then that true Christians and even Jews were the only religions of thousands of them in the Roman world who did not recognize other gods. While the Apostle Paul made it clear that those who worship idols and statues and other gods are worshiping devils. Well, you can imagine what the emperor thought about that being called a demon. He didn't like that at all. No more than the popes liked being called the Antichrist by many Protestant groups in the past. Of course, the poor Protestant groups, they're in the same boat, just a different heresy. Let's go ahead and stop here at verse 9. Lord, give us wisdom, practicality, that we shall suffer for you, Lord. If not outward persecution, we suffer by renouncing the flesh by overcoming, by living our life before you, if not before anyone else. Give us grace to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.